I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music. Now, if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I review some of the season's biggest releases, including new albums from Lil Wayne, Lady Gaga, and Spoon. And later on, it's my turn to add a song I can't live without to the Desert Island Jukebox. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. Hard to imagine we lived in a world that didn't have American Idol, but back in 2003, that song and that singer, Kelly Clarkson, with a moment like this, was brand new to American television audiences. American Idol was brand new to American television audiences. It turned out to be the biggest mainstream musical franchise of the last decade. Huge TV ratings and huge stars. People like Kelly Clarkson, who went on to sell nearly 10 million records. Her career is still going strong. People like Carrie Underwood, Clay Aiken, the rock band Daughtry, Ruben Studdard, Fantasia, Jordan Sparks, all huge mainstream music careers out of this American Idol television show, which launched its eighth season last week. Really the last vestige of the big, old, spread-the-money-around music industry. Indeed, and, and the face of that franchise, the, the central figure in the success of American Idol in many ways. Uh, people may argue on this, but I think it's Simon Cowell. And in terms of the mainstream music industry, Simon Cowell has had his finger on the pulse of what the mainstream wants. Well, he's leaving American Idol after this season. He just announced that he's going to go on to work with his uh, British-based television show, X Factor, and bring it to U.S. television next year. So this will be his last year on the American Idol franchise. Cannot underestimate the power of this guy. You know, he was the guy who was behind the Susan Boyle yeah. phenomenon of 2009. That ended up selling three million records. He executive produced her debut record. He was the man behind Leona Lewis a couple of years ago, that big British diva who was the X Factor winner, his television show in Britain. And he's been a key player in American Idol. I would say that that show is pretty darn unwatchable without him. Well, you, you can lose Paula Abdul as a judge, as you mm-hmm. did at the end of last season, and, like, who cares? But Cal, uh, I mean, he is the definition of, of a, the judge in many people's view of that show. I mean, you need to have him there cracking wise and harshing out on those uh, those contestants. Yeah, well, everybody else is such milk toast. They, they can't form a harsh judgment. He is able to say when something is truly bad. He yeah. will come out and say it. And uh, the show needs that, frankly. And without him, I don't think it's going to have it. Now, the question is, can he make X Factor in the next decade what American Idol was in this decade? And that remains to be seen. Well, well, we'd be available to be judges on that show if he wants. <laughs> Either that or I've had this idea. Of, if public radio doesn't work for us, let's start a, a, a contest where you have to sing while trying to lose weight in a uh, jungle setting. And also you have to cook dinner in half an hour with a secret ingredient. Okay, you go go for that, Jim. I think that's a great that's, idea. That's my million-dollar idea. We've said these words a thousand times 
That is a song called Hearts on Fire by a band called Scars on 45. Mr. Cott, I know you're fond of them. (laughs) Uh, And many people are. You know, talk about coming up with a music industry business model for the new millennium based on that American Idol idea where people vote for what they like. Mm -hmm. There is a British website called Slice the Pie. And they've come up with an interesting way to basically make people at home who love music and check it out on the web the new A&R or talent scouts uh, of a new model for the record industry. You're a band anywhere in the world. Don't have to be in the UK. You post your music on Slice the Pie, and people vote on whether they like it or not. That's the first level. As you accumulate more votes, you move up to different rungs in this website. And at one point, you are able to ask people to invest in your band so that you can go make a record. People at home can put in any amount they want, but let's say they invest one pound UK, right? It's about $1.63. If that band goes on to sell a thousand albums, they get a return of 16 cents on that $1.63 they mm. put in, which isn't bad, right? You better return than some of the stock market investments you've made in the last uh, year, right, Jim? Well, you know, most people <laughs> on major labels from Robert Johnson on up never did that well, yeah. so this is, this is already better than the way the industry used to work. This is the first big success story this band Scars on 45 because Alexandra Patsavas, former Chicago area resident we've had on Sound Opinions a few times, she is a uh, music licensing guru in Los Angeles, runs a company called Chop Shop that provides uh, music for a whole bunch of TV shows, Grey's Anatomy, Gossip Girl, on and on and on. She became aware of this band Scars on 45 because of the way they were moving up, skyrocketing to the top of the Slice the Pie website and got them signed to a major label deal. Chop Shop has a deal with Atlantic Records. Now, all the people who had invested in this band are getting uh, a serious 50% return on their money because there was a major label buyout clause. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a pretty good deal. The two problems there are, number one, if you're doing so well on the web, why do you want to, at the end of that process, get in bed with a major label anyway? What are they <laughs> going to do for you that, that you haven't already done for yourself? Right. And number two, what is it that people are, are hearing in this band that they like? Hearts on Fire. Is there more hackney, mm. you know, theme for a love song? I don't know. I don't want to diss Scars on 45 before we've heard the whole record, but I ain't loving that song. That's Taylor Swift with a song called Fearless, the title song off the best-selling album of 2009, sold 3.2 million copies. The numbers are in for 2009, and a mixed message here, Jim, because uh, the the music industry, the Nielsen Soundscan service, is trumpeting the fact that for the second year in a row, total music sales topped a record 1.5 billion units. And on the face of it, that's a really impressive number. Overall, sales were up 2.1%. But what does that really mean? When we're talking about units, you're talking about everything. You're talking ringtones, you're talking singles, you're talking albums. The bread and butter of the music industry for the last several decades has been album sales. And what these figures don't really put in the lead is that the album sales, once again, dropped precipitously. Uh, Record sales were down nearly 13% to $374 million in 2009. So even though the number of singles and ringtones uh, sales were way up, album sales were way down. And what that really means is that even though the total sales are up, revenue is down because the sale of a single represents about one-tenth of the price of what an album would cost. 
are albums sales down, Greg, even in the digital realm, or are we just talking physical CDs? Primarily physical CDs, Jim. The, the retail stores are suffering. CD sales are down. Digital album sales are up, but not enough to offset the huge decline in, in physical product. The good news for the industry is that, once again, digital sales are way up. They constituted 32% of the market in 2008. They constituted 40% in 2009. So what this means is the industry is eventually going to be able to lower its overhead and and start selling stuff at at a much cheaper rate because it doesn't have the cost of putting it in a store or or physically getting it into the hands of the consumer. It can just send it through the Internet pipeline. I'll believe that when I see it because CDs were cheaper to produce than vinyl albums, and yet the price of, of physical product never did come down. And I'm not going to cry for the music industry, Greg, uh, even though you're pointing out that they're making less revenue, even though sales are up, because they also have less expenses. How expensive is it to produce a ringtone or to sell a digital download of a single? It's nothing compared to getting an old 45 to record stores all around the world. I mean, you know, it's costing them much less, even if they're earning less Mm -hmm. profit. And yet, the sale of an individual track went up in 2009. You saw the the price increase with iTunes up to $1.29. So you're right. They're they're shooting themselves in the foot. They've got less overhead, presumably, and yet the price of the digital tracks is going up, which is exactly the same mistake they made with compact And I'm sorry, I don't know any other industry in the world that was up 2.1% last year in the midst of the worst uh, financial problems since the Great Depression. Yeah, I don't think people like Taylor Swift are really complaining. They had a pretty good year. I mean, Taylor Swift sold 3.2 million copies of Fearless. That's not a bad total for, yeah. for a down year in the economy. Susan Boyle, in, in a span of six, seven weeks, sold 3.1 million copies of I Dreamed a Dream. So it's still possible to have huge success stories with a product that is primarily driven by CD sales, as Susan Boyle proved, because her audience is older. They're buying the CD. They're not buying the digital download. Big year for Michael Jackson. Death is, once again, a great career move. Uh, Number Ones was the third best-selling album of 2009 with uh, 2.3 million sold. Lady Gaga, also one of the big success stories of the year with her fame album, 2.2 million sold. And Andrea Bocelli answering the question, why do they keep making those holiday <laughs> records? Why do they keep making yeah. another Christmas album? Because occasionally uh, they sell big numbers. My Christmas, his contribution to the holiday genre, uh, selling 2.2 million copies, uh, number five overall. And as for the top-selling album of the decade, it was made by an artist who uh, quit making music in 1969. That would be the Beatles. The Beatles, number one, was the best-selling album of the entire 10 years. 11 million plus sold followed closely by in sync with no strings attached Nora jones with come away with me and two albums by eminem the marshall mathers lp and the eminem show top sellers of the decade that made eminem jim the top selling artist of the 2000s so far with over 32 million sold just beating out the beatles one of the interesting thing about the top selling artists of the decade three of them were country artists, Tim McGraw, Toby Keith, and Kenny Chesney, and three were hip-hop artists, Eminem, Nelly, and Jay-Z. Polar opposites, and yet dominating the sales charts at the end of the decade. You're leaving out the most important number, though, Craig. The most popular ringtone of uh, 2009 (laughs) was uh, Soldier Boy, Kiss Me Through the Phone, and I believe it's on your phone right now.
Gaga, oh la la. Mr. Cott, that of course is Lady Gaga with her new hit, Bad Romance, from this uh, repackaged CD, The Fame Monster. I'll explain that in a little bit. Lady Gaga was one of the best-selling artists of 2009 with her album, The Fame, 2.2 million copies. Mm -hmm. It actually came out in 2008. It was a slow build on the strength of a lot of hit singles. Poker Face, Love Game, Paparazzi. She sold... 15 million digital downloads of songs, the most by any artist ever. So mm-hmm. so she's a, a singles phenomenon. Born Stephanie Germanata in Yonkers. Went to Catholic school in Manhattan. Went to NYU. Loved glam rock. David Bowie, Freddie Mercury, and the dance stuff happening in the underground clubs in America. Winds up under the wing of pop rap superstar Akon, and that's when her career really takes off, recording those singles one after another. The fame comes out in 2008. A slow build, but then all of a sudden, skyrocket to superstardom. She was supposed to be touring with Kanye West, who has said she is the Madonna of a new generation. Instead, that tour fell apart. Now she's on a headlining tour of her own, selling out everywhere she plays in many large cities, having to be bumped up from uh, theaters to small arenas. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is nothing short of a phenomenon. You know, the question is, Gaga, you had this this one phenomenal hit record and these singles. Can you do it again? Are you going to have a career as an artist? To kind of bide us over until a, a full second album, she has put out an EP of eight new songs and packaged it with that album, The Fame, for anybody who hasn't bought it yet. So it's being sold as a double CD called The Fame Monster. Let's take a listen to one of the new songs. It's called Teeth, and we'll come back and review The Fame Monster by Lady Gaga on our Sound Opinions rating scale. Here she is on Sound Opinions. Don't want no money. Just Just want your sex. Take a bite of my bad girl meat. Take a bite of me. Show me your teeth. Let me see your mean. Got no direction. I need direction. Just got my vamp. Take a bite of my bad girl, me. Take a bite of me, boy. Show me your teeth. The truth is sexy. Tell me something that'll save me. I need a man on it's my alright. Tell me something that'll change me. I'm gonna love you with my hands tied. Show me your teeth. Tell me when. Show me your teeth. Open your mouth, boy. Show me your teeth. Show me what you got. Show me your teeth. Salvation. No salvation. Got no salvation. Got no religion. No religion. My religion is you. Take a bite of my bad girl. Me. Take a bite of my bad Show me your teeth. That is Teeth on Sound Opinions from Lady Gaga. The new uh, release is called The Fame Monster. Eight songs appended to that 2008 CD. You know, I went to review her show a few days ago, Jim, skeptical about uh, exactly what she represented. I came away a fan. There's a subversive quality and an intelligence to what she's doing that I think puts her a cut above most dance pop divas. You know, the Madonna comparisons have been overstated, but I think there's no doubt that she's coming from a little bit of a seedier place than some of these singers are. For one thing, she she's very much involved in her own music. She's a genuine singer, a genuine piano player, in addition to being uh, the primary songwriter on, on all of her stuff. 
And I have to say, this EP of eight songs is loaded with singles. Uh, she had a bunch on that first album. I think there's not a duff track on this EP that she's put out, starting with the first track, Bad Romance, which is all over radio now. And she's got this ABBA tribute in Alejandro, the song we just heard puts her in territory of an artist like Bjork or, or M.I.A. with that sort of disturbing undertow going on there. That is not mainstream fare that she's putting out. And at the same time, there's hooks galore in it. I'm one over. I, I'm, I'm a fan, and I have to say, this is a buy record for me. Well, I don't think Lady Gaga needs our, our money, Greg, but yeah, that is our, our scale. Buy it, burn it, trash it, and, and yeah, she's good. This is a buy it artist. You're absolutely right. I, I have to inject here, there is not an ounce of originality in, in Lady Gaga. <laughs> you know, if you listen to The Fame, it is a great electro dance album, okay? There are a lot of artists in the underground who are making music that's pushing the envelope in that genre much farther, complete with the, the sexual kind of undertones that uh, Lady Gaga has. You know, I'm thinking of somebody like Peaches, okay, who's going to be a guest on Sound Opinion soon. That's the real deal, and this is like the watered-down version for mass consumption, but it's great as that. Let's not forget, the Madonna comparison is valid because this was a very smart woman, Madonna, who would raid the underground clubs of Manhattan and later all over the world and take elements of sounds that were bubbling under in the underground and put them in a pop setting and that is what you know her career has been made of. Gaga is doing it and she's doing it with a little bit more of a subversive streak like you said Mm -hmm. you know just making fun of the superficialities of fame or some of the outfits she's wearing you know they wouldn't have been out of place at the mud club on the lower east side of Manhattan in 1982. They're not glamorous they're almost kind of grotesque and that, that in itself is interesting. Right you know you just don't know what to make of her. On this new EP moving away from from the real dance floor emphasis of the fame. Elsewhere, she's referencing Blondie. She's throwing in some Queen. Uh, no originality, but but a great collage artist in putting things together, and certainly a provocateur. Look, I'm, I'm tired of Madonna. Somebody needs to be the new Madonna, and it might as well be Gaga. So, yeah, double buy it. We're going to return to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with more record reviews, including a collaboration between Ben Gibbard and Jay Farrar, as well as the latest from indie rockers Spoon. Hey, Laura. 
You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That is Mary J. Blige with a track from her new album, Stronger with Each Tear. It's called I Am. Jim and I are running down some of the uh, new releases of the new year. A bunch of stuff has come out in recent weeks. We're catching up with some of it. Some of it is brand new. Uh, in any case, the show is devoted to a lot of those bigger albums. Remember, and, uh, Greg, when when the music industry used to like shut down right after Thanksgiving yeah. and, and into like February? It, it was odd because the, this Mary J. Blige record sort of snuck under there under that holiday deadline, like just a few days before Christmas. It mm-hmm. came out, and it's definitely worth catching up with because she is one of the major artists of the last couple of decades. Like our new friend Lady Gaga, she's also from Yonkers, New York. Had a rough childhood, uh, much rougher than Gaga's, and. Uh, translated into a a career filled with trauma, singing about it, living it, relationships with men, drugs, alcohol. She ended up selling more than 40 million records, still going strong, has won six Grammy Awards. She is one of the major singers, but, you know, it's come with a bit of a price. I mean, in a lot of ways, her career has been defined by this notion of drama. The last few years, uh, she has uh, found a little bit of peace. Her 2005 album addressed that. It was called The Breakthrough for a reason. She felt like she had come out the other side of her life and was starting to sing about the fact that maybe she can pull it together. Maybe she can find the right man in her life. And the last couple of records have addressed that subject. The concern is that, is she going to lose something because of that? Mm. You know, is a happy Mary going to be able to put out the quality music that she was in the first 15 years of her career? We're going to find out in a minute with a review of Stronger with Each Tear. But first, let's play a track from it. It's called I Can See in Color from Mary J. Blige on Sound Opinions. Everything looks beautiful Sky so baby blue I'm anxious to know where the rest of this road will go If April showers bring flowers Then I need, I need more rain To quench the drought in me So rain on me, rain on me I can see in color, yeah the first sign of spring The rosebuds are blooming yeah. I got a new song A new song to sing Hey, hey, hey Life looks so amazing I never knew that it could Open, open my Open my eyes And for the very, very first time I can see in color yours the first sign, the first sign of spring. It looks so beautiful to me. I can see, I can see, I can see, I can see all in color. Sky so baby blue, so baby blue, you. Oh, 
That is I Can See in Color by Mary J. Blige from her ninth studio album, Stronger With Each Tear. Mr. Cott, we played it because it is by far the best track on the album. It's the last song. Uh, People may recognize it from the soundtrack of the movie Precious. It's produced by Raphael Sadiq. Mm. And boy, is it brilliant. He doesn't do much of anything. It is such a spare, minimalist, old-school, R&B, slow-burn setting. It's beautiful, and, and it shows what Mary does best. You can't help but be a fan of Mary J. Blige if you've ever seen her live. The audience, you know, people come to see her, and they see themselves reflected in this woman. Mm-hmm. So I think that with the breakthrough in 2005 and growing pains in 2007, a happy Mary didn't lose any of her power because, if anything, the message was was more. If Mary could survive and thrive and be happy today, (laughs) so can I. That is the appeal of her music. The fact that there is no more drama in her life hasn't weakened her. What's weakened her is a really bad set of producers, despite being some of the biggest names in R&B and pop. Stargate, Neo, Paolo the Don, right? All they do is this kind of generic, glossed up, poppy R&B setting for her. Fine for someone like Alicia Keys or even Joss Stone, but not for Mary. Mary needs some grit under her to get some traction. She's not the greatest singer in the world, but she is one of the most heartfelt. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing here that she can really throw herself into except for that last song. So I gotta say, you know, buy it, burn it, trash it. It's a burn it record, but she's capable of so much more. A whole album with Raphael Sadiq. What would that have been? Uh, Well, that's the route you should have gone, no doubt about it. I mean, there is no excuse for auto-tuning Mary J. Blige's voice. <laughs> right, right, right. As they do on the one. That is just inexcusable. You do not do that to Mary J. Blige. You mentioned Stargate, Paolo de Don, Tricky Stewart. Plus, you've got these cameos from people like T.I., Drake, Trey Songs. You know, she's clearly playing to the market there. Yeah. Despite that, I still think she fights through all those trappings that they're putting on her and ends up with a good record. Not a great Mary J. Blige record, but a good one. I think the last three songs on the record are by far the best. To my mind, they make it worth buying. They are such strong performances. She's the best R&B singer working today, has been for the last 20 years. This is not her best record, but it's certainly not an embarrassment. I'm going to tip it from a burn it to a buy it for me. song called Written in Reverse by Spoon from their new album Transference, named, I am told, after the uh, Freudian concept, although I don't know anything more about it than that. (laughs) This is the uh, seventh studio album by a band that slowly but surely, over a 17-year career, has become one of the uh, most consistently rewarding in all of indie rock in terms of doing a whole lot with a very little set of ingredients. They are minimalist art punks, you know? It's all about the groove and the drone and melody, but delivered kind of slyly, courtesy of band leader Britt Daniel. I can only think of, like, Yola Tango as their Mm -hmm. only peer in terms of being so good for so long. What are they doing after their last album? Talk about Gaga. Gaga, 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 Gaga. 
Always hard to say. <laughs> Five Gaz, 2007, was the best selling of their career. Really a poppy effort with some horns and uh, some of the best tunes they've ever delivered. We had them perform on Sound Opinions. Comes time to follow it up. Let's play a song from this new album. It is called Got Nothing, N-U-F-F-I-N, by Spoon from Transference on Sound Opinions. When I'm with you, all my Got nothing from Spoon on Sound Opinions from the new album, Transference. Jim, you mentioned Ga, 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 Ga. Did I get the number of Ga's right on that one? Five Ga's, yes. 2007 record, Ga times five. Their most open-hearted record, their most ebullient. They had, they had some horns on there. They worked with John Bryan, really opening themselves up to a new audience. Uh, their most melodic record in a lot of ways. Their most accessible record in a lot of ways. With this record, I think it should be no, 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 no times five, because they've gone in the opposite direction. They pulled back on a lot of the open-heartedness of that record and made it a much more insular record here. Melodies are almost a non-existent on this record. Very few bridges in this record. It's very much about texture and tempo, and those things are things that they have celebrated in the past. They're very much the core element of who Spoon is. The fact that they self-produced this record, I think they pruned away a lot of the stuff that they didn't like about those past records, you know, the sugar coating and the, and the bigger melodies, and just went back to the stuff that they love. But as a result, I think they've made an album for the fans only. They really haven't opened up their audience in any way, and there's some difficult listening here. The, the last two or three tracks, with, with a couple of exceptions, they really slow the record down to the point where you're kind of saying, well, wait a minute, you know, maybe a chord change here, or maybe a little bit more of a melody here would have helped this music. I have to say, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed. I, I thought this wow. record would be a lot better than it was. There are moments in this record that I love as much as any Spoon record, but I think the slower tracks and the ones where the melodies are so buried that they're non-existent uh, really slow it down for me. So it's about half successful. I'd have to give it a burn it. Oh, man, I am shocked. Shocked I am, Mr. Cott. This is a buy-it record, a very enthusiastic one. I gave it four stars out of four in the Sun-Times scale. You know, God Times 5 was about filling up the dance floor. It was a party record. This record is uh, one of your favorite kinds of records. This is a road trip record. Yeah, yeah. This is about that noy, 
Krautrock motoric rhythm and the hypnotic lure of the white line coming at you. It slows down at the end, as any road trip does when you're finally <laughs> pulling into your destination. Yeah. They're a formula band, and a formula band in the best sense, not in regurgitating a formula, but like I said, like Yola Tango. Mm. They take that Velvet Underground drone and the kind of propulsive or percolating rhythm and, and the sort of cryptic beat poetic lyrics, and that's our basis, okay? And how much can we do with it? And sometimes they make, you know, artier records, a little more experimental, like Kill the Moonlight in 2002, and sometimes they make a little more poppy records, like God Times 5 in 2007. This is one of the artier records, but it doesn't lose any of the appeal as far as I'm concerned, and it's a real enthusiastic buy it, and you gotta go listen again. Settling down with warm glow wood stove and kerosene Peace you're looking for Peace you'll find in the tangled mad cliff sides and crashing dark of Big Sur, of Big Sur. That's a track called Big Sur from a soundtrack called One Fast Move or I'm Gone, Kerouac's Big Sur. Some of you may recognize the voice. It is uh, Jay Farrar, who is the lead singer and songwriter in the alternative country band Sun Volt. His partner in this album is Ben Gibbard, the lead singer and songwriter in the band Death Cab for Cutie. The two bonded over their mutual love of Jack Kerouac and this documentary film they created the soundtrack for. Kerouac wrote a novel in the early 60s called Big Sur. It was about a dissolute period in his life when he retreated to a cabin in the California mountains to uh, ponder his life to begin writing. And uh, this semi-autobiographical novel, Big Sur, was the result. Farrar took the text of that novel and used it as inspiration for the lyrics, then brought in Gibbard to sing some of the songs. The soundtrack album was released simultaneously with the documentary film, and then there was a short tour that these two guys did. We're going to review the album in a second, but let's play a track first from One Fast Move or I'm Gone, Kerouac's Big Sur. It's a track on which Gibbard sings the lead vocal called California Zephyr on Sound Opinions. Up the Hudson Valley, across New York State, to Chicago, then the plains. All so easy and dreamlike, crashing the salt flat daybreak. I hear I'll take you home again, Kathleen. Sad and fog winds out there to blow. Across the rooftops of eerie old hangover, San Francisco. Now I'm transcontinental, 3,000 miles from my home. I'm on the California Zephyr, watching America roll by. Now I'm transcontinental. 3,000 miles from my home I'm on the California Zephyr Watching America roll by I've hit the end of the trail Can't even drag my body I've been driven mad for three years Too much fame keeps a body busy And a mind full of white poor tears Terrified by that sad song Across rooftops mingled With the lacrimose cries of the Salvation Army meeting on the corner saying Satan is the cause of it all Now I'm transcontinental 3,000 miles from my home I'm on the California Zephyr 
Watching America roll by Now I'm transcontinental 3,000 miles from my home I'm on the California Zephyr Watching America roll by Gorgeous song, California Zephyr, uh, with Ben Gibbard on vocals. He's made this album with Jay Farrar. One fast move or I'm gone. Music from Kerouac's Big Sur here on Sound Opinions. Like Gibbard and Farrar, I am a huge fan of Jack Kerouac, Mr. Cott. And I've got to say, Big Sur is one of my least favorites. That's a tough one, yeah. It's a tough one. Yeah. Kerouac's at a horrible point. You know, he's he's realizing he's an alcoholic. He can't beat this thing. He's questioning the existence of God. I wish that they had tackled... All right, you know, On the Road would have been too obvious. But how about Desolation Angels? Uh-huh. Would have been cool. A lot of critics have taken shots at Gibbard and Farrar for not doing bebop music as, yeah. as, as this, you know, it's like, okay, look, that is the music that Kerouac loved, but there are lots of different rhythms in his prose. There's blues, there's folk, there's country, there is bebop, and you can play with those rhythms as he would encourage people to do when they did readings of, mm-hmm. of his work and when he read his own work. And so I don't have a problem with that. And I do think there is this wonderful romantic thing. You know, people think I'm, I'm a hard-edged cynic, but this goal of crossing America in search of kicks and adventure mm-hmm. and whatever the road will bring you, that is what indie rockers like Gibbard and Farrar have devoted their lives to. Lord knows uh, especially with Farrar, it's not making money. First with <laughs> Uncle Tupelo and Sunvolt, it's that love of just going out there and playing music and meeting people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the spiritual bond that rockers have with Jack Kerouac. And there are moments of great beauty on this album. You know, this comes in a nice package with all sorts of notes, and it's got the documentary film, and that's got interviews with people who Kerouac influenced, like Patti Smith and Tom Waits. I, I gotta say, to buy it just because it's a thing of beauty that you will want to own if you like Kerouac or either of these artists. Well, it's a fine tribute to Kerouac in a lot of ways, uh, you know, shining a light on one of his more obscure works, as he said, justifiably so in some ways. And Ferrar is kind of a one-trick pony, but he's a great one-trick pony. That voice is almost designed, it was built to sing sad songs. It, yeah, it, yeah. It's got a natural slope to it, and it's a beautiful thing when it does work those sad corners. He was very smart to bring Gibbard in because Gibbard's got a higher voice, a little bit more boyish, a little bit more innocent. It's kind of like the light shining through that cabin. You yeah. know, gives you a little sense of, hey, there's a way out for this poor guy. So they balance each other very nicely. The songs themselves kind of sit in this one comfortable place a little bit too long, kind of this folkish downcast vein. I was a little bit spoiled by seeing the live show where they brought out, they coaxed out some of the anger that was sort of bubbling underneath some of this music. Mm. So I, I, I preferred that. But nonetheless, I have to say that the more I listen to this record, the more I appreciate not only their voices, but what Kerouac was going through during this stage of his life. There's a lot of love in here, and those sneaky melodies do creep up on you. You, you can see yourself alone in a cabin listening to this record <laughs> and, and getting a lot out of it. This would yeah, be your, and then having th- a drink. This record would be your friend, you know? So I, I'll have to say buy it as well for One Fast Move or I'm Gone. Mm-hmm. 
So a double buy it on uh, the Kerouac tribute from Farrar and Gibbard. If you'd like to play Critic, give us your thoughts on that album or any of the reviews we've done on Sound Opinions. Leave a message on our hotline, 888-859-1800. You can also email us at interact at soundopinions.org. Talk to us on Facebook or find us on Twitter. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with a final review of the new rock-inspired release from rapper Lil Wayne, as well as my Desert Island jukebox pick. back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. No, that's not the new Corn record. It is rap rock, but it's not Corn or any of those other bands that you're thinking of. It's uh, Lil Wayne, the hip-hop artist, with an album called Rebirth and a track called Prom Queen, one of the advanced singles from it. It is his seventh studio album, a career that dates back to the late 90s when he was a teenager out in New Orleans in a successful band called The Hot Boys. Uh, went on to have a stupendously successful rap career alongside Jay-Z and Eminem, and I don't think there's been a bigger hip-hop artist in the last 10 years. Not only the mainstream albums that he's been putting out on big record companies, but his underground mixtapes have been a key part of his success and paved the way for him to become an arena rock-level act. And rock is what he's doing on this new album. It's kind of a surprise because he's coming off the biggest success of his career. The Carter Three, released in 2008, sold nearly 3 million copies. He's got eight Grammy nominations. In a few weeks, Jim, 
This man could be sentenced to a year in jail for gun possession and also be winning a whole bunch of Grammy Awards. So uh, Lil Wayne cannot escape the news in the next few weeks. Meanwhile, he's got this album, Rebirth, a bit of a caveat. This album is scheduled to come out in early February. It has been scheduled to come out for about a year. Six release dates it's had since January 2009. But they say this time it's for real, so we're going to review it as if it were for real. Here's a track from it called Ground Zero on Sound Opinions from Lil Wayne. Back to hell off, rock and roll Jesus with all my nails on. All I need is a blunt and a bell bone and get his blind motherfucker something to feel on. Roll it like a motherfucker, put your wheels on and let's roll down the hill till the hill gone. I started on the block, but that's something to build on it. How can I pray when I got nothing to kneel on? Hey, the ground is gone. Don't look now, but the ground is gone. Yes, that is Lil Wayne with Ground Zero from the album Rebirth, the very controversial album, the album we've been waiting for for more than a year. Never a good sign when an album is so scattered in its release date. The company Cash Money clearly, you know, I don't know if we want to put this out yeah. there, but Wayne believes in it. You know, Wayne has this vision. It is not enough for him mm. to have been one of the best-selling rappers. He wants to take over the rock world. The problem is, uh, what is his definition of rock? A lot of people are getting hung up. You know, is this album really rock? Well, there's the same kind of uh, rather generic grooves that power all of his hip-hop albums, except this time they're played by a, a live drummer and a bassist. In place of uh, cheesy synth squiggles delivering the melodies, he's got uh, really cheesy and cliche-ridden power metal guitar, mm-hmm. okay? There are moments of a little more ambition, but basically Wayne is still doing his hackneyed empty sexual boasts and cliched street braggadocio with lots of auto-tune while Sing speaking the choruses, and there's no real original ingredient that would say he's trying to expand his sound the way that someone like, I don't know, Lupe Fiasco or Kanye West mm-hmm. have done, you know, reaching out, bringing elements of Pink Floyd or whatever. Wayne isn't particularly got good taste as, as a hip-hop craftsman or as a, as a rock fan. So I think that that's a red herring. Is it rock or rap? It's just bad. Rebirth is a trash album, whatever you want to call it. Well, for better or worse, he's built a reputation as a relatively daring mainstream hip-hop MC. He's capable of pandering, as in a song like Lollipop, but he's also capable of going deep in the other direction, you know, on those mixtapes and some of the the deeper album cuts that he's put out on those mainstream albums the last few years. I think this is his idea of a radical move, you know? I'm going to make a rock record. I'm going to pose on my new album cover with an electric guitar. But why would you want to sound like Linkin Park? You know, I mean, it's like he's taken the worst elements of rock and said, I want to be that. 
and and not doing anything innovative with it. As you said, the lyrics are substandard Neanderthal. I mean, it, it, they're just most of them are just stupid and way beneath his skills in, as an MC. That auto tune, when Kanye used it on 808s and Heartbreak, it was kind of this device to create this very insular and sad and despairing, almost science fiction type of world. Yeah, there was an artistic reason for using it. Here, I, what's he doing? He's covering up his voice. It, it it becomes annoying after a while, and it should be banned forever from any hip hop record from here on in. This is a record on par with that Chris Cornell scream record yeah, in 2009 yeah. as one of the most misguided efforts by a major artist of recent years. And let's go all the way back to Garth Brooks when he changed himself <laughs> into Chris Gaines. I mean... Wound up as Billy Joel. It is really a truly terrible record. One of the worst records we're going to hear this year. A trash it record all the way. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as we can on this show, we like to take a trip to the desert island and drop a quarter in the desert island jukebox to play a track we cannot live without. This week, it's uh, Jim DeRogatis' turn. Yes, Greg, and it's uh, it's kind of a sad desert island jukebox pick, although we'll remember the music positively. We uh, kind of got lost in the shuffle of year-end shows and, and didn't get around to marking the death of Vic Chestnut on Christmas Day 2009. Who was Vic Chestnut? James Victor Chestnut was a, a great singer and songwriter who spent much of his life living in Athens, Georgia. A really distinctive artist who had a lot of ups and downs in his career had been uh, left partially paralyzed early on 1983 by a car accident. Did not let that stop him from making music. Was discovered in Athens, where of course R.E.M. used to be based, by Michael Stipe, who went on to produce his first two albums. Had a lot of cheerleaders in the music world from that point on. At one point there was a tribute benefit album done for him to raise money for his medical bills that had the likes of Cracker and Garbage and the Smashing Pumpkins Madonna R.E.M. and Live on it was briefly signed to a major label and then dropped all the way through Vic kept turning out really unique songs. He was an acquired taste. That that voice was mm. kind of slippery, and some people couldn't quite get beyond it. His lyrics could be very heavy. I can't say that I love all of his 17 albums, but the ones that clicked with me really clicked. I remember about 10 years ago, I was on a panel at South by Southwest with Vic Chestnut. It was one of those goofy panels they put yeah. together where they're going to have half the people on the panel argue that Paul McCartney was, uh, his solo career was worthless, and the other half are going to defend Paul McCartney's solo career. Only it worked out that they couldn't find any anti- Paul solo guys was just me so you know I was on there and Vic loved Paul McCartney and he was getting so upset he was like at one point I thought he was going to take a swing at me (laughs) and I was just like goofing on stuff like silly love songs and stuff but for Vic music was life and death to attack a song he loved by Paul McCartney was to attack him. Mm-hmm. That permeates his best work. You know, you get a sense of this is a guy who's had an incredibly tough life and he is singing because it is his only lifeline. To pay tribute to Vic Chestnut, who died on Christmas Day, was found dead from an overdose of muscle relaxants in what's believed to have been a suicide. I just absolutely adored the album he made with the Alternative Country Orchestra Band, Lamb Chop, in 1998. It was called The Salesman and Bernadette. 
and it was kind of a concept album. I've been listening to it since 1990. I still haven't completely understood the concept, but it is Vic at his most beautiful with uh, some really sympathetic and wonderful musicians. This is a song called Replenished by Vic Chestnut on Sound Opinions. Powerful stuff, a song called Replenished by Vic Chestnut from his 98 album The Salesman and Bernadette, my desert island jukebox pick. Great artist, Jim. We're going to miss him. And uh, next week we have another great artist in the studio, Black Francis, the auteur and singer in The Pixies. He's going to help us with a classic album dissection of The Pixies' Doolittle. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions was produced by our ace team, Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. Goo goo for Gaga, both of them are. <laughs> and our executive producer, our fearless leader, a man who knows a thing or three about auto-tune himself, Tori Southside Malatia. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. Hey, Jim and Greg. Uh, I really like your show about the mixtapes for the end of the decade, but I think you guys are right that there's been no real music movement since the 90s. I mean, if you want to call grunge a movement or or alt-rock, that was probably the last thing that really rocked the music world at all. And the only thing that's going to keep rocking the music world is technology. That's the way it's going to be. I mean, from now on, no one's going to care what you're listening to, it's a matter of 
how you're listening to it or transporting it or sharing it or whatever. That's essentially what it's going to be. Actually, I wrote a paper about that when I was in college in 2001, and it's funny to see that it still translates today, you know, nine years later. Anyway, my name is John. Um, I'm from Merrimack, New Hampshire. Keep up the music talk. I'll keep listening. Hi, this is Marty in Wheaton, which of course is far western Chicagoland. I listen to WBEZ. And uh, I have to appreciate the way you guys brought Kid Sister into the studio and um, opened my eyes up to a new genre of music. I mean, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a hip-hop fan, but after listening to this, this girl who's, what, 29 or 30 years old, she sounds like she's 18, very fresh, very up-sound, very bright. Um, oh, I really like it. So I'm going to have to... Uh, dedicate a certain portion of my entertainment budget for a copy of Ultraviolet. Thanks for bringing it on the show, guys. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Carolyn. I live out in Grace Lake. I was just listening to you um, on the radio while I'm cleaning house on Saturday. It's my normal spiel. Just listening to uh, Baby Sister, and I generally don't listen to rap or hip-hop at all, but I really liked her, and she's very cool. And I'm originally from Chicago, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, thanks for introducing me to some new music. Have a great day. You can be so that sound, girl. Get on the floor, rip it down and dip more. When this lip comes through, better hold on to who you love and you for. Flirtatious, I can't help myself. I'm thick and I always. My name is Kisses. I drink Palmer and sip on my OE. So, enough of this to end the fire. Hey, this is Anne from Austin, and Kid Sister had me dancing around in the kitchen at 6 30 in the morning. Congratulations to her for making intelligent, powerful, and fun music. If you want to do her, can you switch? Jim and Greg, hey, this is Robbie Kay from Will Matt. I was catching up on the show, listening to some podcasts. Two weeks in a row, I heard a couple of segments on Susan Boyle. Guys, you know that some things just aren't done. Look, white shoes after Labor Day, ketchup on hot dogs. Hey, add Susan Boyle to that list singing Wild Horses. Please do us all a big, big favor and don't ever play that overproduced stuff again. As to the popularity of her CD, well, my grandmother always said there's no accounting for taste. Keep up the good work, guys. Now you to show me no more messages to give us your opinion on sound opinions call our hotline 1-888-859-1800 we'll be back next week with sound opinions from chicago public radio and american public media